Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You found the place where we talk horses. My name is John Hare, and on today's show, we have the proprietor of Genuine Billy Cook Saddles, Adam Trink. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me on, John. Billy Cook has such a long tradition of saddle making in this country. You guys have handmade saddles for a long time, but you just recently purchased the company a few years ago. Can you tell us how that came about? Sure. Billy Cook himself, the namesake of the company, uh, started making saddles in 1953 in Greenville, Texas. He moved the operation to Sulphur, Oklahoma in 1991. Many years before that, I believe sometime in the late 70s, my grandfather was traveling through Greenville and he stopped in Billy's shop and he picked up two saddles, one for my father and one for my uncle. And I grew up riding those saddles. I was always kind of a fan of the brand. And I got my first one, I think, when I was 12 or 13, my own saddle to call my own. And then I got another one a couple years later, both Billy Cook's. And, you know, just sort of followed along with what was going on with the company. And when I learned that Billy passed away in 2019, I was curious about what was going to happen with the company. There were some things going on in my life and professionally that sort of had me thinking about a potential diversification in my career. Mm -hmm. And turns out that they were thinking about shutting the company down. It sort of fallen on some hard financial times. The family didn't have the interest to keep the business going, and they were going to shut it down at the end of 2019. And I thought that was kind of a shame, given where I was at in my life and the situation with the company. I thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity to try and save it. And we worked out a deal where I took over the company, and uh, we kept everybody who was working here for many years employed, and uh, we're rocking and rolling now. Oh, sounds great. Even though you started and then 2020 hit with the pandemic, you guys you made it through that. Yeah. I was only a couple of months in to the exercise. I closed on the company in December of 2019. So I was really just sort of learning the business. And obviously when the pandemic hit and commerce sort of slowed down, it really scared me because I thought, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? But fortunately the PPP money came through and we did have to close the shop for a few weeks, but we sort of reopened slowly and business, you know, I, I can't say it's great, but it's good. We're staying busy and you know, given that I'm still at this point only about 15, 16 months into operating the company, I'm really happy with where we're at. Right. Do you mind if I go back and talk about your grandfather who bought those saddles for the family members? What attracted him to a Billy Cook saddle back then that made him want to get those saddles? Because they're, they're almost legacy saddles when he buys them like that. They're saddles that you hand down from father to son and generations, really. What I know of the story, my family's always been into horses, even though I grew up on the East Coast. My grandfather uh, grew up riding, and I uh, got my father and my uh, uncle into riding when they were just little boys. And when my grandfather found himself in Texas on business, the way the story's told, he was on a charter plane for some reason, meeting with some people at a factory not too far away from Greenville, and the flight was canceled. So he just was sort of touring around Greenville, killing time. And just happened to kind of wander into the Billy Cook shop. I think at that mm -hmm. point in time, probably the brand was unknown to my father and my grandfather, although I don't know that for sure. And he wandered in there and he just thought that the saddles were expertly crafted and beautiful and wanted to bring some home for his sons as long as he was hanging out there. We do still have one of those two saddles in the family. My uncle Jeff sold his shortly before he passed, but uh, wow. I wish he hadn't. 
it's floating around there somewhere. If I ever find it, I'll scoop it back up. Did your grandfather meet Billy Cook? Was there any stories there? He did meet him. I remember him telling us about it. My grandfather's still around. He's 91 now. And I've asked him about it since I bought the company. And he said, you know, he just remembers going in there and that he was a nice man and sold him some saddles. So I don't think there was a whole bunch of swapping stories in in that meeting. Right. You know, the thing I like about your company is the tradition that's carried on. Going over your website, I noticed that you've got some employees that have been around for a long time. I won't even try to pronounce Rotilio's name, but Jody Rames has been there for 30 years, and Rotilio's been there for 42. Yep. Rotillo and Jody still with the company. Uh, Rotillo had started with Billy down in Greenville and uh, made the move up to Sulphur with him. And then Jody, who's a native of Sulphur, has been with the company since 1991. You know, this company wouldn't operate without those two guys. I think you know, I was lucky to have them and they were lucky to have me because we were able to keep the business going. And that was sort of two pieces to that puzzle that were necessary, right? They needed me to come in and sort of keep the company capitalized and get back on track. And I needed them to run it because all the money in the world isn't going to create the types of products that we're making. You need people who have the experience and the expertise right. to turn out a quality product. I was talking with a friend just the other day about saddles and there's just there's not a leather saddle making school and that's kind of one of those crafts that's handed down from master to apprentice. Absolutely. One of the things that's really interesting to me and I I didn't realize this part of the story until after I had gotten into the business. But really Billy Cook spawned the saddle industry in Greenville, Texas and Greenville is now by every account the saddle making capital of the country. And he was the first one to make saddles in any kind of quantity in Greenville. And then he grew his business down there and trained dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people. And today, if you go down to Greenville, Texas, on almost every corner, there's a saddle shop. And I guarantee if you go in and start asking around, somebody who works there has ties to Billy when he was operating down there. Uh, I myself had an opportunity to go down there and meet some people. We were actually trying to get some people to come back and work for us in sulfur. And so we went around sort of door knocking and I got to hear some great stories about how Billy got some of these people started. It's really interesting. I think that the entire Western saddle manufacturing industry in the country has taken shape because of Billy Cook's influence. Wow. So I imagine there is somewhat of a shortage of knowledgeable saddle makers then. Yeah, they're, they're in short supply. There's a limited number of people who have the time to dedicate to making these things. If it's not, you know, in your family, I guess, or, and you didn't, you know, start your career in a saddle shop, it's not something that you can easily transition over to because it takes a lot of training. Right. And obviously, you know, in today's world, it's difficult to spend a lot of money training an employee because you've got all different kinds of costs and things like that. And so if you don't get somebody who is trained, you're sinking some cost up front the nature of things is there's there's not many people out there willing to take the time to learn on their own time. We've been very lucky, obviously, that we've retained 100% of the employees that were here when I first took over the company are still here. And in fact, there are a couple people that we've hired back who used to work for Billy that have come back to work for us since I took over. And one of the things I'm trying to do right now is just sort of recruit some young bloods, some younger people who'd be willing to come and learn. And we're trying to figure out a paid apprenticeship program for them so that they can learn the craft and still 
have an income and then we would have the ability to continue to perpetuate the products we're making because some of our people i mean i don't think they're going to retire anytime soon but we have to be thinking about that they're in their 60s so right right you need to carry on that tradition Mm -hmm, exactly Uh, so, so that's about the company let's talk a little bit about saddles like i said i was looking over your website and there's just a variety of different types of saddles that people use I want to kind of talk about three of them I think our listeners would be interested in and maybe you could explain a little bit about the differences between a roping saddle a reining saddle and a trail saddle sure every saddle that we make obviously is built around a tree unless you buy a treeless saddle the tree is sort of the framework that the saddle is built around and that's generally uh, wood, which is either then wrapped in rawhide or fiberglass before the saddle is built around it. And so the fundamental difference between those three types of saddles would be the, the shape and, and style of the tree that the saddle is built around. Mm-hmm. So a roping saddle is going to be you know, naturally heavier duty, a little bit heavier. And then the horn, of course, is going to be a primary difference because you've got to be able to dally around that horn. Right. And so the shape and height of the horn is going to be different than what you might find in a in a reining saddle or a trail saddle. The reining saddle is going to be constructed in such a way that the bars and the gullet give the horse a little bit more freedom of movement through the shoulder. It'll be a little bit lighter weight than the rope saddle, but it'll be heavier duty than the trail saddle. And then the trail saddle will just, you know, obviously be a, a lighter weight construction. It doesn't have to take the same kind of abuse that the roping saddle or the, or the reining saddle has to take. And it's going to be tend to be ridden for many hours and be comfortable for both the horse and the rider. Another difference would be obviously the way that you construct your seat when you're assembling the saddle. Depending on the type of roping, if you're doing calf roping or you're doing ranch roping or team roping, you might shape the seat a little bit differently. Some of these guys who do the ranch roping want sort of a deeper pocket, which is also very popular in like the rain cow horse and stuff like that. Just kind of holds you in the seat a little bit more. Right. Whereas, you know, if you're calf roping and you want to be able to jump off your saddle after you get your, your loop out there, uh, you're going to have kind of a flatter seat so that there's not as much restricted movement for the leg. And then the trail saddles, we build a lot of those with a pretty deep pocket, but we build some with a flat seat also. So it's just kind of a matter of personal preference there for the rider. One of the things that I noticed is that in the ranch saddles, the saddle horn is small. And I figured if you're working on a ranch, you're going to need to rope something at some point. If you dallied on that small horn, would it hold a steer? We've got several different types of ranch saddles, and I'm not sure exactly which one you're looking at. But like our Arbuckle, which is a ranch saddle, has a big, wide, sort of wade-style horn on it. Okay. And then we have ranch cutters, which, you know, have sort of a narrower, more straight up and down horn. But it's a ranch cutter. If you needed to rope something off of it, you sure could. And the way to get it so it'll hold your dally is you just wrap the horn either with some rawhide or rubber or a combination of the two. But it's certainly strong enough to take the dally. And then I know a lot of my listeners have heard the term wade saddle, but they're not exactly sure what that is. Could you explain what a, a wade saddle is? A wade saddle is a style of saddle that has generally a slick fork, meaning it doesn't have swells on the pommel. And then it's going to have a really big horn that's sometimes three and a half, four inches in diameter across the top. It's just sort of a throwback to an old old ranching style saddle. It's very popular in the you know northwest part of the country. What do they claim the advantages of that saddle are? Is it more comfortable for the horse or is it more comfortable for the rider? Well, it's 
how it fits the horse is going to be a function of sort of the bar width and the gullet width that's in the construction of the tree. It's not as much a function of the shape and style of the exterior part of the saddle. The part of the saddle that comes in contact with the horse might be very similar in dimensions between rope saddles and weight saddles and whatnot. It's just a function of what you ask us to build for you or what you're ordering. In terms of comfort, I mean, I like a weight saddle personally for trail riding, mm-hmm. which gives you just a little bit more freedom of movement. It's not as restrictive. Depending on which weight saddle you order, we have a lightweight weight that's great for trail riding and packing. But some guys don't like them because they don't have swells and they want to be able to get their legs up underneath the swell and hold themselves in the seat. Of course, that's also why they make buck and rolls, right. which you can attach to the saddle, which will compensate for the lack of the swell. So I would say it's just a matter of personal preference and style. I mean, if you're going and doing an arena sport, other than potentially a ranch rodeo, weight saddle's probably not for you, but for long days in the saddle or ranch work or trail riding, they're pretty good. Yeah. And so, they look real cool. Yeah, they do. If you're out there shopping for a saddle, what do you think is the biggest consideration a consumer should make when making a saddle purchase? Well, number one, and I'm sure this will appeal to all of our listeners, I mean, I think it's very important you buy a product that's made in the United States. You can get saddles that are made in Mexico or made in overseas somewhere, and frankly, they're just not the same quality. They're not going to be made with the same integrity, and they're not going to be made in a saddle shop by people who have their hands on horses that are bred in today's times and in, and in our geography. I mean, horses are similar to breed to dogs. If you take a German shepherd that's bred in somewhere in the United States and you bring a German shepherd over from Germany or Czechoslovakia, the conformation of the animal is different. Same with horses. If you have horses that are bred in Mexico and that aren't being, you know, using imported breeding material from the United States, the shapes of their backs and their conformation are going to be different. So, you know, we're here in Oklahoma. Several people in my shop, including Jody and myself, are out there riding and working with horses every day. And we're familiar with the shapes and contours of their back and the confirmation of modern bloodlines. And so we're building saddles that fit today's horses. Obviously, I also think it's important to buy Made in America for a lot of other reasons, economically and and otherwise. That's that's one of the reasons it's real important. I mean, I've seen some of these imported saddles that are just so narrow it wouldn't hardly fit a donkey. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't fit the horses that are in the country where those trees are manufactured. Right. That's important. Leather quality, really important. Yeah. How do you tell good leather from less good leather? So it comes down to feel, really. Uh-huh. You want something that's, that's a heavier weight. It's not going to wear out quickly. It's a little bit thicker. But you also want something that's got some, I guess it's, not a very descriptive term, but you want to have some feel to it. Like you want it to be supple, but you also want to have some rigidity to it so that the saddle doesn't lose its shape. We buy various different weights of leather depending on the type of saddle that we're going to make. I mean, the trail saddles and barrel racing saddles are going to be made of a slightly lighter weight leather because the customer that's going to use them is going to want a lighter weight finished product. Right. But we're still using high-quality veg-tanned leather. Veg-tanned means that the tanning process for how the leather is made is an all-natural process. It's not done using any harsh chemicals, which could irritate your horse's skin or your skin or be bad for the environment in the manufacturing process. You know, there's lots of things to consider in terms of what makes good quality leather versus bad quality leather. And, again, it basically comes down to feel. feel. And, um, and experience, you guys have been doing it for a long time. Sure. We buy pallets of sides of leather and we get them from really reputable suppliers, you know, Herman Oak being one of our predominant suppliers. Every once in a while, we got to turn the side back, get a pallet of leather. It's got 
50 or 100 sides and you might find one or two that doesn't work for you and usually our suppliers are pretty good about that and they swap it out and we get something that has a consistent thickness that we're comfortable with and that'll you know hold the tooling on the leather work well you know lots of things we could probably go on all day about what makes good leather versus bad leather and the truth of the matter is I don't hardly know anything. I've only been doing this for, like I said, about 15 months. There's guys in my shop who they'll, they'll look at a piece of leather and say they don't like it. And I can't tell why. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have all the experience in the world. I really am still just learning. I told a friend I was going to uh, be talking to you and he says, I like to look for a good used saddle and let somebody else break it in. Do you have any advice for breaking saddles in? We sell saddles and a lot of different finishes. Most of our saddles will start out with like a russet colored leather, but then we can send it with a, with no oil, light oil, medium oil, or what we call a hot, heavy oil finish. I don't like a new saddle that squeaks a lot, and so I like a medium or the hot, heavy oil finish, which sort of makes the saddle easier to break in. Obviously, the more oil, the more lubrication and suppleness that's in the material but it also gives it a darker color and some people they want that lighter color leather to get started so mm-hmm. there's really no substitute for just riding it and breaking it in saddle that's pre-broken obviously is great but you don't necessarily know what somebody else put it through unless you really inspect it and you know what you're looking for although i will say that i think our saddles either new or used are going to be real comfortable you know when we give them that hot oil treatment they're pretty soft, and then all of our saddles come with the stirrups pre-turned and ready to go, so they shouldn't make your knees or your ankles sore. And I did notice you guys do a lot more than saddles. I mean, you have the tack, you have reins, head stalls, breast collars. And- we do a full line of all all other tack, like you said, head stalls, breast collars, flank cinches, anything really that you can imagine. And we've also started a new line of handbags and purses. And we're going to be rolling out uh, some belts and some wallets here in the near future. I sort of brought that to the company. We weren't doing that before, but, you know, I recognize that it's a small percentage of the population that rides horses, but at least 50% of the population carries a handbag and probably close to 100% of the population wears a belt. Just sort of diversify our customer base a little bit. And then in addition to your saddles that you have in stock, you also make custom saddles too. What would be some of the considerations why someone would order a custom saddle? I'm glad you brought that up. On our our new website, which we just launched in February, we've got a tab called the Custom Saddle Maker. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of work went into that. I'm a lawyer by trade. My day job is as an attorney, and I haven't spent a lot of time building a website before, and I didn't realize what all went into it. Anyway, I digress. The Custom Saddle Maker tab, click on that. If you're going to build your own saddle, the first thing you do is you look at a bunch of pictures that show you different styles of saddle. So you pick, do I want a mule saddle? Do I want a reining saddle? Do I want a cutter? Do I want a ranch cutter, trail saddle, wade saddle, roper, what have you? So you start by picking your, basically the style of the tree that your saddle is going to be built around. And then you get to pick if you want to have a housing on it, like a double skirted, or if you want it to be single skirt, what we call mother hubbard. And then you pick your tooling patterns and the color of the leather and the type of seat you want. Do you want a padded seat or do you want a hard seat? Do you want the leather to be turned around so that the rough outside is showing or do you want the smooth grain side of the leather showing? All these different options. And then you just sort of click through all the options. Different If you want stainless steel hardware, brass hardware, et cetera. And that's how you sort of work through the process. 
So you, it's all, in my mind, it comes down to what you're going to use the saddle for and what your personal tastes are. You keep saddles for a very long time. You might as well, if you're going to buy one, you might as well get all the bells and whistles on it that you want. And you can do that with a custom-made saddle. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm a big proponent of people getting exactly what they want. I mean, we have dozens and dozens of options when it comes to catalog saddles. We've got, I mean, really, I think 140 different models of saddles, well over 10 dozen. If you want to get something that's just not sort of ready-made off the rack and you want to customize it to, to suit your personal taste, I highly encourage you to do it. You know, we put your initials or your brand in the side of the saddle, whatever you want. Like you said, it's something you're going to have for a long time. You might as well get what you want. It's not that much more money to get one made custom. And I don't know if it's recent or not, but I uh, looking at your Instagram page, I noticed that you teamed up with Impact Gel, the saddle pad maker. I've used their saddle pads. I really like them. But are you using them in the seat material of your saddle? That's right. Yeah. So we signed an exclusive deal with Impact Gel last year. It's sort of been slow to roll out. Obviously, the pandemic actually kind of slowed down the supply chain a little bit, you know, because we were closed down for a couple weeks and we had to come back. We've been playing catch up and we haven't had a lot of time to do sort of research and development. But we finally came out with four models that are going to have the impact gel on the seat. And what we're doing there is in between the the ground seat, which you build up around the tree and Mm -hmm. the layer of the weather that you make contact with when you sit on the saddle, we've got a, a layer of this impact gel material in there. And I'm really excited about it. It's a proprietary material that Impact Gel has. It's a material that's really trusted and appreciated by horsemen. We're familiar with it because, like you said, they make the saddle pads and have for a long time. The material holds up in the heat and in the cold, designed to last forever, which is important to us because we want to build a product that lasts for a long time. And it makes it much more comfortable ride. We used to put a piece of foam rubber in the padded seats of our saddles, and we still do in some of our models. But this is now gives people an option for just an additional level of comfort that they weren't that's not really available anywhere else. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I knew there was foam under my the seat of my saddle, and I've seen foam in like upholstery, and over time it just kind of breaks down. It crumbles and gets powdery, and I wondered if that was happening under that piece of leather that I'm sitting on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what what you see is like the pin bones of people's hips will create indents in their saddle if they've got foam in there, and that'll never happen with the impact gel. Cool. So, Adam, if someone wants to look for a Billy Cook saddle, are there dealers around the country that they can go to, or they just order them online? Either or. So we have on our website, if you want to go to a retailer and see what we've got there in stock, we have a tab for find a retailer, and that'll list all of the retailers that we have throughout the country and we're pretty well represented i think we've got outlets in almost every state and then of course if you want to order direct from us that that option is available to you as well we're happy to service our customers however we can but we certainly encourage you to get out to a retailer and put your hands on it and feel it and make sure that it's something that you like maybe even give you an opportunity to bring your horse to the you know local pack shop and slap it on the horse's back and make sure it fits real good i think our our saddles are built to fit a variety of horses' backs, but it always depends on what's in stock at your local tax store. And if they don't have it, then you, know, you can certainly come direct to us. And you did mention that with the pandemic, there were some supply chain issues, and we've seen them in a lot of different industries. How is the supply of new saddles in the country? Well, we're having trouble keeping up with demand, and it's a function of two things. One, the primary thing is just getting leather in is slower than, I guess, the business had been accustomed to. I mean, for me, it's normal because I was new to the business once this all hit. 
but I guess it used to be where you could call and order leather and pallet of sides would come in within a couple of days and now it's taken a couple of weeks. So we're really having to sort of time our construction process based on demand. Like I said, for me, it's normal. I don't know any other way, but I, my understanding is it's slower than it used to be. Uh, and also costs have gone up, which I'm not sure is a function of obviously the laws of supply and demand. There's obviously there's more demand and not enough supply and it's taken longer to get it. So the prices have gone up. So we're just sort of having to juggle those things. Do you think that I've read some stories about with the pandemic, a lot of people wanted to be outside. So many of them took their dream of wanting to get a horse. They got a horse and now they, of course, they need a saddle and and all the accoutrements and stuff. Just one last question. I'm curious that what is, what types of saddles do you sell the most? Are they the roping saddles, the reining? What's your biggest sell? I think in terms of volume, like what the the number of units we sell the most of, believe it or not, probably barrel saddles. The barrel saddle is pretty versatile for, and very popular, obviously with women. It's lightweight and it's very comfortable for, for women to ride in designed to be used for performance obviously barrel racing is a performance arena sport but very similar tree design to a lot of our trail models and so those seem to be really popular and they're they're on the lower end of the price spectrum as well so uh, we sell a ton of those great well thanks so much for joining us on the show adam and telling us all about billy cook saddles if people want to find out more can you tell people how to find you yeah, you bet. We are at Genuine Billy Cook on uh, Instagram, and we are GenuineBillyCook.com is our website. And I encourage you to reach out if you have any questions. Peruse the website, go to your local retailer, and check out what they have in stock. And if your uh, local tax shop isn't carrying our products, encourage them to. We're a small business. We got about 23 employees, and we pride ourselves on making a handmade product right here in the United States in the same traditions that Billy started some 68 years ago and i hope to be doing this for a long time that's something i'm really passionate about been riding horses my whole life i love it and i just kind of want to build a product that when people get it it makes them happy to have and gives them an opportunity to create a lot of good memories and have a lot of good experiences which is what the billy cook products always did for me growing up and i just appreciate everybody's support and i really thank you for the opportunity to be on your show my pleasure thanks adam okay take care It's my practice to go for a ride or work the horses after an interview. It's an opportunity to reflect on the conversation and think about ways to improve. The more I thought about this interview, the more Adam Trank impressed me. Here's a guy who's doing pretty well as an attorney. He has a fond memory for a saddle and here's the company that made it lost its leader. He could have just said, oh well, too bad, so sad. But instead, he acted to save the company and its 23 good employees, all because of a tradition and a commitment to a craft. That is quite the noble act. I don't ride a Billy Cook now, but I'll certainly be giving them a good look when I'm in the market for a saddle. Thanks to Adam for making time in his very busy schedule. To see the show notes with links and photos, go to woepodcast.com. If you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, I'd love to hear it. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. 
I've been improving my YouTube channel, John Hare and Horses. Check it out. My goal is to share as much stuff about horses and horsemanship as I can. The more we know, the better it will be for all our horses. And that's what it's all about. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.